0: Theology Gals, episode 23, Eternal Subordination of the Son, with Rachel Miller.
1: Knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, "He's going to kill all of us." That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up. To what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology
0: hi and welcome to theology gals we're a podcast for women on the bible thumping wingnut network and i'm colleen sharp and my co-host here is ashley and you can find anything from this episode or any of the episodes on bible com. if you click
2: theology gals so Ashley, how are you doing? Good. I'm um, doing a lot of reading this summer, which I'm really enjoying. Yeah, you know, my favorite thing when we go camping is just, is reading.
0: And so my kids got me a hammock for my birthday. We're going to go camping. Oh, how cute. We actually found a spot where we're going with trees so we can hang up the hammock and I can just relax and read. Right in the shade. What are you reading?
2: Okay, so I'm reading a book that I actually really want to recommend. Well, I'm reading about five books right now. But one of the books I'm reading right now is called Choosing the Good Portion, Women of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And so what it is, it's like an anthology of a bunch of women in the early OPC all the way up to about the 70s or 80s. And even if you're not... In the OPC, maybe you're in the PCA or even not Presbyterian at all, I think you would really, anyone would enjoy this book because it's really just about women who love the Lord and it has some really cute stories because we're talking about women who, who met their husbands in like 1905 and I actually wanted to read the cutest like story about <laughs> this couple that met This is like the most Reformed Presbyterian thing ever. Are you ready for it? Yep, I'm ready. Okay, so it says they were both from large farm families with immigrant parents committed to the Reformed faith. They both love canoeing, long walks, and singing the Psalms in Dutch. How cute is that? (laughs) Canoeing, long walks, and singing the Psalms in Dutch. Like those were their hobbies.
0: in the beach, on the beach, isn't really a new thing. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, it's like, oh, but you know that's what? That's adorable, isn't no. it? And it's actually kind of a, a good reminder because we have so much busyness. You know, Brent and I actually love taking long walks, <laughs> but we don't do it enough. And it's so nice because you can enjoy God's creation and and not have all the distractions.
2: That is so sweet. Canoeing though. And singing the psalms in Dutch. I was like, that's a very Dutch reformed, like, family, that you would just love that and and that you'd meet someone else that loved that. That's so cute. So what else are you reading? Um, I'm still reading uh, Jay Gresham Machen's uh, Christianity and Liberalism. Have you read that?
0: Yes, it's so good. You can't be a Presbyterian
2: and not read that. And then, so
0: eye opening too. And
2: it's like yeah. he's looking to the future. He's he's like, these are the problems with the church, and I'm like, are you sure you're in the 1930s? Because it sounds like you're describing the modern church. Um, I'm also reading Elizabeth Elliot, "Let Me Be a Woman," which is really really good. I haven't read that one. It's really it's she wrote it to her daughter when she was getting married, about what it means to be a woman, and it's it's just really cute and really. Just really good. Um, I recommend it. I'm like halfway through that one. And then I'm reading a couple fiction books. One's called The Name of the Wind. It's like a fantasy fiction that I'm part way yeah. through. So, yeah, ahead. like I said, like five books going right now. So,
0: when you were gone, I read Michael Horton's book on the Holy Spirit, which is so good. So, so, so good. So, you have to read that sometime because okay. it is. It is excellent i I can't say enough about it i just love it well you know how much i like michael horton anyways Mm -hmm. but i like that and then on our sanctification episode with gary edwards he recommended the gospel mystery of sanctification by walter marshall and i just started that awesome so it's but it's supposed to be like this classic on sanctification and a few of my friends have read it and said it's just so excellent so, hmm. I'll let you know how it is. I'm on chapter 1, so I can't really say. Okay. Very much um, about Yeah. And still tracking through Michael Horton's The Christian Faith. So, um, I Is a that like pace. his
2: systematic? Is that yeah. did he write like a systematic?
0: Yeah, okay. So that one is really long, but I honestly would recommend The Pilgrim Theology one. Okay. Um, I would recommend like I actually have been kind of going back and forth to see how they differ just for recommendation's sake. And I actually think that one, like I would recommend ladies read that one. I mean, the Christian faith is very good too, but this is kind of like Lewis Burkoff has a systematic theology. And they has this little book called summary of Christian doctrine. Hmm. And I just posted them in the group today because they're both free eBooks on monergism. Um, and so, you know, where so I, when I was new at theology, I was trying to read his systematic theology was like a bit much for me. Yeah, and so uh,
2: I, I've, I've also attempted that. It's,
0: and so then I got summary of Christian doctrine and I was like, it's still kind of hard, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a good one.
2: No, I was just going to say, like, I've also tried to pick up Bovink. Have you tried to read anything no, from Bobby? I haven't done that, not aside from quotes that Scott Clark posts. <laughs> I would recommend going to seminary and then trying to pick up because I was like, oh, okay, it a little over my head. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, yeah, let's let's get to our interview today. Yeah. So today
0: we're gonna be talking with Rachel Miller about eternal subordination of the sun. And I think a lot of our listeners probably know. A little bit about it know that there's been a controversy and we're only going to barely dive into what it is because there's a lot to it I remember the Thinking Fellows podcast did an episode on it and they were saying yeah I read like 20 things and I'm not sure I even fully grasp it and and those are theologians so I feel a little bit like that but I think Rachel does an excellent job of of making it understandable what the issue is why it's a big deal and on this episode i have a lot of resources she has written on her blog daughter of the reformation a lot about it so i'm going to be linking all of that and, along with a couple of the things that she has given us to also link so if you have any questions after the episode you know please email us at theologygals at gmail.com you can find all of our our contact information on the web page on this episode so we will be right back with rachel
1: This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi,
0: welcome to Theology
1: Gals.
0: Welcome
2: everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome
1: to School of Biblical Harmonetics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology.
2: What is going on guys? Shine his lights coming at you. Well, welcome to
1: Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to Conversations from the port, This is the Council of Google+. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Striving for eternity and the Bible Thumping Wingnut are happy to announce the Judge Not Conference. August 11 and 12 in Amstead Falls, Ohio, at Amstead Falls Baptist Church. Speakers include Phil Johnson, Mike Abendra, Justin Peters, J.D. Hall, and Chris Roseborough. Also included is a debate at 7 p.m. on Friday on the topic of the charismatic gifts Continuationism versus Cessationism. You can register for the Judge Not Conference at judgenotconference.org. Don't miss this awesome opportunity and fellowship on the topic of apologetics and evangelism. Judge Not Conference, judgenotconference.org. Register today.
0: And we are back with our guest, Rachel Miller. She has the blog Daughter of the Reformation, which I'm going to link. And Rachel, before we get started, can you maybe just share a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. Um, I'm Rachel Miller. I am a counseling mom of three boys. I am a member of the PCA church. Um, I'm also the news editor for the Aquila Report, which is an online news journal. And, as well as the work that I on my own blog as the God of Reformation.
0: Well, the reason we want to have you on is to talk about this eternal subordination controversy. And I think one of the biggest things is that a lot of people just don't even understand what that is. What are we talking about? What is eternal subordination of the sun?
3: Certainly. Um, eternal subordination of the sun, uh, or the acronym ESS, is one way to attempt to explain the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son and to a lesser extent, God the Holy Spirit. So it's about defining who God is and how God works. Um, A couple other terms that are also used to describe really the same thing. um, There's eternal functional subordination or the eternal relation of authority and submission. Different proponents prefer different titles. Um, they'll argue that they mean different things, but when you get down to it they really all mean the same thing.
2: And this 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 came about, I mean I didn't hear anything about this until maybe it was a year, two years ago. Correct? I mean it's it's been around, but there was this controversy started
3: right a, a couple years ago, correct? Uh, the Trinity Debate, if you want to call it that kicked off last summer um, in June when uh, Liam Gallagher wrote a couple of posts over at Mortification of Spin, where Carl Truman, Amy Bird, and Todd Pruitt write, um, challenging the, this concept of eternal subordination. And, but it has been going on. It's been, I mean, it's in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which I think was published in the 80s, early 90s. So that's how long, it, at least how long it's been around. Um, some guys over, especially egalitarians, have been arguing over this with the complementarians who support this. Uh, at least since 2006, 2007. Um, So it's nearly a decade, give or take, um, of discussion going on. And if it would be helpful, I can explain kind of the difference between, you know, the classic orthodox position on the Trinity and then what ESS is doing differently.
2: Yeah, that would be really helpful.
3: Okay. In the classic orthodox explanation, the concept is, most people are familiar with, there's one God and three Persons. There is uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit are equal in uh, glory, power, majesty. They're one substance. This is about the nature of God. God is one. There is one divine will. Um, it's about the unity, right? It's not three beings. You know, There's one God, three persons. Um, there are differences, though. The Father is described uh, classically as being uh, the source, being um He's not begotten. He's not proceeding. Uh, the Son is begotten of the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. That those are the classic distinctions between Father, Son, and Spirit. But within this, there is no hierarchy. There's no difference in who's in charge. It's all God. But where there is a distinction made, it's not in the nature of God, but in the work that God does. Um, in the work of creation, in the work of redemption particularly, there is an order that the father sends the son, the son accomplishes, uh, the redemption, the spirit applies the redemption to us. So each one has a role of work that they do. But again, it is, uh, it's a linear work. It is not our linear. It's not a top down hierarchy of the father's in charge and then there's the son and then there's the spirit. Um, so that is, that would be, you know, the classic who God is. Now, in the incarnation, when Jesus, when the Son came and Jesus was born as a man, um, he became the God man. He's truly God. He's truly man. He has both a divine and a human nature. And within that human nature, he is, um, in his role as mediator, he submits to the will of the Father because he has a human nature that is um, inferior, if you will, to his divine name, God the Father. Um, so that is where it talks about. All the verses in John and the scriptures that talk about, um, you know, I only came through the will of the Father, um, that I do what I see my Father doing. All of those talk about His humanity and His role as mediator, um, submitting to the Father. The difference then with what eternal subordination is saying is that they say from all eternity there has been a difference in authority between God the Father and God the Son, so that the Father, because that He is called Father, is in a, a higher authority than the son. So the son, even before he was incarnated, um, has always been in submission to the father, and they base it off of um, the ancient understandings, or what they think the ancient understandings of father and son are. That in the ancient cultures, the father was in charge of the son, and the son would submit to the father. And so that the names father and son mean authority and submission. Um, they also argue that because the Father sends the Son, that means he has a greater authority because in ancient cultures, the one who sent is greater than the one who is sent. The one, sent mm-hmm. is the one who is sent is the one who is sent. Most proponents of ESS are trying to say that God, Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are equal in their nature, in their being, but differentiated in roles. But when they say, that the difference in authority and submission is because God is father and because God is son. That is making an argument about the very nature of God. And hmm. so it's making a hierarchy within the godhead. Hmm. So that's the difference. You know, one of the things that a lo- there somebody
0: actually even just posted in our theology gals group the other day, you know, what is the big deal, you know, if if there's teachers that are respectable out there that are proponents of ESS, isn't this just a small secondary issue we shouldn't even be
3: concerning ourselves with? Um, It is a very big deal, particularly because by creating a hierarchy within the Trinity, by making a difference in authority and submission between God the Father and God the Son, they are stepping outside what has been classically taught, classically believed as Orthodox teaching on on the Trinity and What we believe about God about who he is and what he does is uh, the very foundation of what we believe and all of the rest of the doctrines that we believe are Dependent on that or are affected by what we believe about God. This is why there's such a difference between say uh, Christians and uh, Mormons or Christians and Jehovah's Witnesses because they do not believe that Jesus is God in the same way that we do. So our beliefs about, about the Trinity, our beliefs about God are crucial for being able to be, to be Christian. So for example, if you say that the, the son submitted to the father for all eternity, this is separate from, from his humanity, just that the son submits to the father then he ha- you're saying that he has to have a separate will, a separate divine will from the Father's divine will. And that means that there's more than one divine will. And the problem with that is that you run in danger of creating uh, three gods or a tritheism. So it's hmm. God the Father's will, there's a God the Son's will, and there's God uh, the Spirit's will, and that they are not unified as one will, one God. As well, by saying that the Father is the supreme, the one in supreme authority, uh, when Grudem also says that the, the Father is the one who should receive the most glory. And so, mm-hmm. if you have one part of the Trinity who really is the one who is in authority, who really is the one who receives the most glory, then really, God the Father is the supreme God. And Jesus and the Spirit are, are lesser in, in their, their divinity and their God. their Godness (laughs) and if Jesus is not a complete revelation of the Father if he is not God completely as same as God the Father is then his (laughs) sacrifice his death and resurrection um, cannot apply to us in the way that scripture says because the only reason that he could be uh, a sacrifice suitable to pay for our sins is that he was truly God, truly man. He needed to be able to be God and man in order for his sacrifice to apply to us. And so if we're if we're monkeying around with what it means to be God and monkeying around with um, or, or fooling with this idea that Jesus is somehow lesser in authority and less than fully God, then we are in danger of not being Christian because mm-hmm. we don't, in the sacrifice that he's given us, he's done for us.
2: Right, so that sounds really serious. So I'm going to use the H word here. Um, <laughs> would you say that ESS is a heresy? I think that's a very can. heavy word.
3: <laughs> One that we should be careful using. I, I don't think yeah. sure we throw it around needlessly. It carries a lot of weight, but the definition is the heresy is contrary to Orthodox teaching. And by definition, eternal subordination of the Son is contrary to the orthodox teaching of the Trinity. It is a very serious heresy because the heresies uh, that the church has dealt with on the Trinity were among the very first ones that the church, the early church, dealt with. So these arguments back a very long way, and uh, it's not that we haven't, uh, the church hasn't addressed these before, we, we have. And we've come up with the formulations that we have in order to protect what we understand, what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is. Um, So, yes, I would say it is a heresy. Of course, one of the questions that gets asked is, uh, or one of the things that proponents of eternal subordination say they aren't doing, is they say that they aren't Arians. It's not Arianism, uh, to use a classic word. Um, Arians were a heresy. Arianism was a heresy. Uh, in the early church, uh, second, third century, uh, believed two two things. One, that Jesus was uh, the son of, of man, the son of God, was created, that he was a created being. And two, that he was subordinate to the Father. Now, it's absolutely true that none of the guys who hold to eternal, eternal subordination are saying that Jesus was created. Absolutely. But when the church addressed Arianism, it addressed both things, the issue of whether or not the Son was created, but also the issue about whether or not Jesus, the Son, is subordinate to the Father. And eternal subordination does teach that Jesus, the Son of God, is subordinate to the Father, and not just that in his humanity, in his role as mediator, that Jesus submits to the Father. So this undermines very essential belief, Christian belief about God. Hmm. Uh, the creeds, the Athanasian creed, the Nicene creed, were written to, to address subordination. Um, I know that there are a number of people who are not particularly familiar with the creeds, who feel like the only creed we should follow is the Bible. I, I understand <laughs> that concept. Um, but the concept is it: the things that we teach about God in the creeds are from Scripture. When um, Jesus says in John five that he calls God his Father, on five eighteen, the Jews want to kill him because he was calling God his Father, making himself equal to God. They understood hmm. that his claim was equality, hmm. not subordinate. And he's not saying, "Well, that the, this is my Father, therefore I'm." less than the father, or I am of lesser authority than the father, they understood that he was saying, I am equal to the father. Mm -hmm. The scripture itself makes that argument. What comes to mind when you say that is
2: also, I I can't even think of where this is in the gospels when Jesus says, I am, like he'll say, I am. And that, that seems, he seems to be doing the same thing there is equating himself with the father.
3: Absolutely. It's, it's all throughout, particularly in the book of John, but it's in all of the Gospels um, where Jesus makes himself uh, clearly speaks to his divinity. Uh, his hmm. title, Son of Man, comes from Daniel, um, about the one who is who is divine, the, the Messiah, the one who is going to come. Hmm. Uh, they understood it was not a, a question of his equality. They understood it. Right. But they didn't like him for saying it. They understood it
2: when I when I first heard about this, I think I heard about it from mortification of spin. I understand that this is really closely related with their views on submission and headship and marriage and and I also understood that it it's in a lot of literature for women, a lot of um, books written about marriage and about these things you'll see ESS come up without even if you're not paying attention you'll you'll see it in there. Um, without realizing it, how, like how does this all relate to, to marriage?
3: And That is actually how I first came in contact with this. Um, I was reading books for women, uh, books that were written particularly about marriage and about the, the roles of women, uh, the church and the home. And, you know, these ideas, I, I kept running across it and, and wondering what it was. It was different from what I knew about what the Trinity is and who God is and who Jesus is. Um, so yes, it is in quite a lot of resources. The reason it's being used, complementarianism as a movement has wanted to ground the idea that there is equality between men and women, we are created equal, that we are um, equal before God, but that there is a difference in our roles, and the difference in the roles is that men are leaders and women uh, are submissive to that leadership. So the purpose of looking at the Trinity this way is to say that if just as God, the father and God, the son are equal, but that there are these differences in authority and submission within the Godhead, then they feel like they are on strong ground to say that just as it is in the Trinity, then also it's the way it is in the marriage relationship or more broadly between men and women in general. Um, Hmm. So that's, that's the goal. That's, that's, and that's a stated purpose. There's a, there was an article written, uh, I think May of 20, 2015, um, on Jared Moore's blog, it was called The Complementarians Win. It was a review of uh, One God and Three Persons, um, edited by Bruce Ware and John Stark, and it's about uh, a subordination of the sun. Not everyone in the book are for it, but it, that's the purpose of most of the book is to promote it. Hmm. His, his point, Moore's point in review, is that if the complementarians can prove that there is a hierarchy in the Godhead, not just in um, the roles that they play in redemption, not um, just in Jesus' uh, work as mediator and as God-man, but that there's actually a hierarchy in the Trinity, then there can be equality and hierarchy, and you can do the same with men and women. But men and women, <laughs> even the have authority, they're just as valuable, just as equal, just like the son is not less valuable than the father. So that was, I mean, that's the stated purpose of using the Trinity to bolster that complementarian argument.
2: So it, 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 it's a way to, yeah, it's a way to give credibility to complementarians as opposed to egalitarians, like, look, the Trinity
3: looks just, you know, like what we're trying to say. Right, right. That's exactly it, That there can be, like, how can you have, this argument has been, how can you have equality and hierarchy? And they said, well, see, look, mm-hmm. God did. So, it okay. Um, of course, I believe that you can teach that um, that the husband is to be the spiritual leader in the home, uh, the wife is to submit to her husband's leadership. And I believe that you can say that scripture limits the uh, ordained offices of the church to qualified men Mm -hmm. without appealing to the Trinity. I think that there is a strong Hmm. argument for both of those, and that by trying to appeal to the Trinity, trying to make this parallel, you're in danger of damaging our Christian faith and not actually supporting um, what the Bible teaches about men and women. Hmm.
0: And some of the proponents of it really do have in a more extreme view of male headship and yeah. and um, a wife's submission.
3: Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, those of us who hold to the two things I just said, that husbands are heads as their wives and wives submit to their husbands, um, and that uh, the leadership in the church should be ordained males, qualified ordained males that if you restrict it to just those two points, then we're called sin complementarians, or I think I saw narrow life complementarians uh, this last week, because they want to apply those differences of authority to all aspects of life. And so you get um, convoluted arguments over what kind of jobs are okay for women to have, because are they going to be hmm. men? Um, or how can they be like a man's superior at work and still honor the fact that he should be a leader because he's a man. You know?
2: hmm. It's almost like women should be submitting to all men.
3: <laughs> it, well,
2: seems,
3: it seems like it could go there. <laughs> what what they say, even from the earliest complementarian sources, so from the early 80s, or sorry, mid-80s, what they're saying is that they'll say, no, I don't think that all women should submit to all men. right? But then in the next breath, they say, but... In every relationship between men and women, men should be acknowledged as the ones who are leaders, and women should submit to that, that should be responsive to that leadership. Right? So it seems to me that they're saying, no, not all women should submit to all men, but all women are submitting to all men in every type of relationship is a distinction without a difference, in my opinion, right? as far as practically.
2: Yeah. And I think that's kind of a dangerous mentality. It can lead to a lot of dangerous things.
3: I mean, it's one thing to say that, you know, as a woman, I made a choice to marry a particular man and I am as his equal, equal before God, I am submitting to him and to his leadership as a choice that I make. Right. That is one thing. It's another thing to say that, when i When I go to work, I need to be careful that every man I'm in contact with are actually all leaders, and I need to be careful of how i i I interact with them so that I don't demean their masculinity and make them less masculine and less leaders and hurt my femininity by not being responsive to their leadership those Those are very different um, understandings of men and women hmm.
0: You also have written an article saying farewell to the ESV. And in it, you say, when I was researching eternal subordination of the sun, I discovered that the ESV study Bible notes strongly advocate for ESS. And you talk about why, where the ESV fits into this.
3: Sure. Uh, There are men on the translation committee for the ESV who are proponents of ESS. Not all the men who are on the Translation Committee are, but there are men. Um, most notably, Wayne Grudem um, is on the ESV Committee, and he is also uh, one of the earliest proponents of Eternal Subordination. Nation. The ESV Study Bible, those notes, he was, Wayne Grudem was the editor for them. So the, the notes are certainly colored by Charles uh, of Nation. The text itself of the ESV does not show much evidence of eternal subordination. That you, it's, it's not like they've changed certain passages to strengthen it, particularly. The, the one issue that you would see, and I, I mentioned it in that article too, is that uh, the translators of the ESV have said, have chosen to use, like uh, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only, only begotten son. The ESV, I think, says one and only son. Instead of, of that's a it, it is a related issue, but it's separate from ESS. Wayne Grudup, uh, until recently, did not uh, believe that speaking of uh, the Son as eternally begotten was an appropriate biblical category, and so he doesn't like the term. He's recently changed his mind on that. But um, there are a number of people on both sides of the ESS debate that prefer the translation, one and only, or unique, and so it's not necessarily an ESS, uh, it's not necessarily an ESS argument or decision, um, that is the, uh, I know some really strong, uh, cr- critics of ESS who often think that, uh, the word there translated one and only is, is the, the more biblically accurate translation, and it's not an issue there with ESS. Um, so so really, aside from the notes in the ESV study Bible, the te- the uh, text of the ESV is not a problem in regards to ESS. Uh, it's not It's not been tainted as far as I can see um, by that issue. I have some other disagreements with it, but that's not it that's not one of one of them.
0: Hmm. I think because there was so much discussion for so long. Somebody said to me recently, so is is the controversy over? You know, it seems like it's over.
3: (laughs) Um, Not by a long shot. Uh, I certainly think that many people are ready to move on and talk about something else. Um, (laughs) Many people are tired of the debate and the discussion. But the fundamental problems are still there. It's still being taught. The books that are out are still very influ- influential. Um, the material is still being defended. Uh, even the uh, the changes in what they believe about uh, like a, like Jesus being eternally or the Son being eternally begotten uh, that Wayne Grudem and Bruce Ware have have recently made, they still believe that there is a difference in authority between God the Father. God the son and in fact they try to make a distinction between when we say that they're the that they are equal in power they say well okay they're equal in power but they're different in authority that power and authority are somehow uh, to be distinguished um, so it's, it's still there the proponents are still teaching it it's still very influential and the um, the resources are still being defended people are still saying yes ESS is right Yes, this is the way we have to view things. Um, It, I mean, even with uh, CBMW, the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, the most that they have said is that as long as you hold the Danvers statement, you can hold either ESS or not ESS and be complementarian. They have not said that eternal subordination is um, heretical. They have not said that they have not denounced it in any way, not publicly.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but somebody asked me just recently, how are we supposed to view those that hold to it? I mean, do we view them as heretics? Should we consider them on
3: other things, but ignore them on this? Um, first off, I would probably make a difference between those who have written and teach this versus the average person who has been taught it and thinks it's right as far as for how to deal with them. The average person who's been raised in this, I would treat them gently and discuss with them about what they believe and hope to give them better resources so that they could see why this is so important. I would I would treat them very gently. For those who are teaching it, it is very hard because this is so fundamental to what they believe about everything in the Christian faith. It is hard to pull out. Um, their beliefs about the Trinity, their beliefs about authority and submission within the Trinity from the rest of what they teach. it It is so foundational. It is so much a part of uh, the fabric of their beliefs hmm. that it's hard to uh, separate it out and say, well, I'm going to listen to them on these things, but I'm not going to listen to them on these th- on the ESS. I wouldn't say absolutely under no circumstances should you read these men Um, but I would say I would not recommend any of those books to anyone without a lot of qualification.
2: I read a book when I was engaged, like a marriage book, and I was a lot less discerning then. (laughs) Um, but I read it and it was like, when I first heard about this controversy, I was like, I know this, like I've heard this before. And when I thought back, I was like, where did I see this? It was in a marriage book, you know, and it it was just kind of couched in there. And it sounds very, um, I don't know, convincing because you're like, oh, wow, like how Christ submits and I'm going to submit, you know, like, you can see how that kind of gets all included in there. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I would imagine, I guess, there's a lot of people who've kind of accepted this as truth kind of unknowingly just because it's couched into just some of the books we're reading, right?
3: That's exactly the problem. It is literally in, in books for men, it's in books for women, it's in books for children, it's in books on marriage, and even more generally, it's not even just on marriage. It shows up over and over again in all of these resources and yeah it it is easy to absorb in your reading without realizing what the problem was and honestly in the first one that i read if they hadn't said something about describing the trinity as three beings i probably would not have picked up on it (laughs) but it that particular caught me and i said the the what (laughs) but then i paid more attention to what they were saying about the rest of god Right. And then but even then it was, you know, a relatively small portion of the whole book. Hmm. It, would, it would be easy to go by it and not realize yeah what you'd read.
2: Yeah. So it seems like especially as women, if we're reading anything about marriage, about submission, we just need to be careful. Just sure. be aware, look out for it in what we're reading.
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I just want to tell our listeners, I am going to be linking all of the articles that Rachel has written on this. And you have even in some of your articles shown um, passages from different books where it is, Mm -hmm. which I think is really, really helpful. Because when you read those passages, then I think you're able to better recognize it when you run into it elsewhere. And so we're going to be linking all of the articles that Rachel has written about this. And then she's given me a couple of other resources also that I'm going to be linking. And I know it's a difficult thing for so many to understand, but I really do hope that this will be helpful. I think it, I think it was very helpful just
2: to kind of understand what it is, why it's important. Yeah. And I I really appreciate you, Rachel. I appreciate you know, the guys and Amy Bird over at Mortification of Spin. And, you know, there's a lot of voices out there saying, like, we need to pay attention to this. Um, so I really appreciate that.
3: You're welcome. I And thank you. I, I think it's very important. I Fundamentally, my main concern is for the men and women of the church, for the effect that this has on marriages, on families, on churches, on society. It really is my concern. It's not about scoring points in debate. You know, I'm not about who wins this, who wins that. I really care about uh, the people and the effect it has on them. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to mention also you were on Mortification of Spin talking about patriarchy. And I think I'm going to link that also because even though it's a little bit different, I think that that's really helpful. It kind of does, I don't know, fits in somehow to this.
3: Well, it's certainly connected. Yeah. Um, you'll find the terms of coordination and a lot of the patriarchy sources as well. Um, they're appealing to the same people. They're making the same arguments. Uh, um, yeah. And it was, it was certainly all in the same research that I was doing that I came across both.
0: And I'm finding that a lot of young women seem to be some, not a lot, I should say some young women who are newly married are attracted to some of this and even attracted to some of the things within patriarchy. And, you know, you, you know as we do, that so many of the resources available for women today are lacking. A lot of them have just outright horrible theology. <laughs> and so and we appreciate what you're doing. We, we love your blog so much. It's so encouraging to see women who are writing and have, you know, sound theology.
3: Thank you very much. I've been, uh, the blog's been kind of quiet this summer. I've been working on a book. And so. One thing- oh, well, that's exciting. I was actually thinking, I wonder if she's ever going to write a book. <laughs> I, I am. I am. And I'm dealing with, uh, with a lot of these issues there and addressing this uh, and more, more broadly the concerns that I have and that I see with what's being taught under the cover of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood about just how biblical it is. And again, about it's my concerns about the effect it's having on people.
0: Hmm. Oh, I, look for, I really look forward to that well thank you again rachel thank you so much for coming on and yeah we just really appreciate it so we will be right
1: back looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach look no further at TrackPlanet.com. we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out they are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available with over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith and salvation. Come check us out at trackedplanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TractPlanet.com planet.com, coupon code BTWN.
0: So we are back. Ashley, do you feel like you understand eternal subordination
2: anymore? Yeah, I. you know, I think and I think it's because I've been aware of it for the past year that I've kind of slowly I mean, I when I first heard about it, I um, was like, is that wrong? I don't understand. Like, I didn't understand the the nuance of it, you know? Because I was like, but Jesus did submit to God and the father, you know, you know, we see that when he was here on earth. So I'm like, but he does submit. So I don't understand, you know, but th- the more I listen to her talk and the more I read, the more I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I do understand. Right? Yeah.
0: And I appreciate the history too. And going back to the early church, when we have these foundational doctrines of the Christian faith about the Trinity and, and eternal subordination of the son separates from those orthodox Mm-hmm. beliefs about the Trinity that we've had throughout church history.
2: Right. Yeah, it's not good to stray from those. <laughs> right. So should and, we do our question of the week?
0: Um yeah, I actually have a bunch of answers. Well, but let's you and I answer first.
2: Okay. It was it was what was your best yeah. meal?
0: Well that it was it was twofold. What is your favorite kind of food and what and although I accidentally first wrote it in the group, what is your favorite food that I'd asked on the podcast okay. so what is your
2: favorite And what is the best meal you've ever had? Okay, so I told you that I have an answer to the second question, but I also have a funny story. So I'll try to be quick. So first of all, my favorite type of food is Thai food, generally. I love Thai food. I love green curry. That's like my favorite thing. But um, I think the best meal that I've ever had was when I was in Italy. You know who Machiavelli is? He wrote The Prince. Okay, so Machiavelli wrote... This book called The Prince. I could not give you a timeline when he wrote that, but I had to read it in college. Um, It's a pretty famous book. And so he lived in Florence and got um, kicked out of Florence and was like basically exiled to this like beautiful winery in Tuscany, which I'm like, if you're going to get exiled, you know, go to an estate in Tuscany. I wouldn't mind being exiled there. And he wrote this book. Well, anyways, so we got to go to that estate and have dinner and wine and stuff there and it was amazing It was definitely the best meal I ever had and they even brought out so sorry if anyone's offended by this but we they brought out like a pig that they were gonna cook and like carried it around and then we watched them like no 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 it was already okay (laughs) Okay. (laughs) yeah no that would be bad yeah I wouldn't have liked that so that was amazing we got to eat where like Machiavelli was and then my funny story is also when I was in Italy, every time I went somewhere, I tried to order a different kind of pasta. Mm-hmm. And so one of the last nights we were in Venice, I was like, ooh, cuttlefish. I've never eaten cuttlefish. You know what a cuttlefish is? So a cuttlefish is kind of like an octopusy looking thing. They swim like backwards. They like okay. propel themselves. Mm-hmm. They're really cute, but they're, they're poisonous. So don't go near one if you see one. So, anyways, so I ordered cuttlefish pasta, not knowing quite what I was going to get. I figured it was like seafoody, mm-hmm. and they bring it out and it's black. Like it's like, like tar, you know? And I was joking. I was like, I think someone inked on my pasta <laughs> because mm-hmm. it was, it tasted great and it tasted like seafood pasta, but it literally looked like tar. Because they're, they have, they're like octopusy things, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they have the ink or whatever. So everyone was laughing at me and my teeth were all black too. If you order cuttle, if you order cuttlefish pasta, it's going to look like someone just inked on your pasta. But <laughs> I promise it's good if you order it from a good place. <laughs> so
0: for me, you know, we had this wonderful meal, although I can't even remember what it was, on our honeymoon in Hawaii. And it was at this estate And all I remember was the dessert, was some sort of like lemon dessert with this raspberry stuff drizzled on it. And it was like the most amazing dessert I ever had. And the meal was good too, I just can't remember what I had Hmm. because it's been 22 years. But my brother-in-law made this meal one time for my sister's birthday. And it was beef and cooked it in some sort of wine and you like light it on fire.
2: You know, oh I it's soft. yeah i've heard it was that. like
0: well actually have a funny story about that i'll tell you in a second but that that was one of the best things i ever had and then he found this salad dressing and you roast you roast a bunch of garlic and then you make this garlic parmesan something dressing and it's like my very favorite salad dressing. But I, we had some people over for, ch- for lunch after church one Sunday. And I'm like, it was after I'd had it when my brother-in-law made it. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this. And our family room is next to our kitchen. So I'm standing in the kitchen. And I'm about to light the wine on fire that the meat is in. And there's some people sitting in the family room on the couch. And one of the guys sees the fire and runs over trying to figure out what to do to put out the fire not realizing that i had <laughs> on, <fire> on purpose <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> so i'll read a couple things well what is your favorite oh you said thai food i didn't say mine you know for me it's so hard because i i love italian but i also love mexican and i love asian food so it's really hard for me to say a for sure favorite <laughs> but i'll read a couple things that we have oh and by the way i dislike curry that's like the one thing i do dislike but i'll say some of the things from our group, seafood, lobster. We got a couple lobsters, a couple seafood. Tacos and eggs. (laughs) And she said bonus for eggs and chorizo tacos. And I gave her a couple of my favorite chorizo recipes. Italian enchiladas, let's see, smoked paprika chicken. Actually, speaking of chicken, I'll just share this really fast. Have you ever seen that thing where you take a chicken and you put it on top of like it's standing up on a beer can? No. Beer can chicken or something? (laughs) No. Seriously, best chicken I ever had that I've made at home. You pour out half the beer, you make this seasoning, you rub it all over the chicken, you put half of the seasoning into the beer can, and then you put the beer can like standing up. You put the chicken, like the inside of the chicken, over the beer can. It looks like the chicken is standing up, and we grilled it for however long. It was truly amazing. So if you need
2: something creative,
0: look online for beer can chicken. It was just amazing. I do not like beer. We also like to brine our chicken and beer. I don't like beer, but it is amazing. So just have to share that little summer tidbit. So we need a new question of the week. I say it's your turn, Ashley, to choose one. Okay,
2: um, question of the week. Next week, I wanna know how you, okay, This is a really heated debate going on. I see it on Twitter. I see it everywhere. Do pineapples go on pizza or do they not? I'm going to ask that. Okay. Yeah. Don't tell me now. Tell me next week. I'm not going to say anything. But we, I don't know. I knew you were going to ask that. Okay. This might fracture our friendship. We'll see. We'll see. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to
0: go in our group and I'm going to do a poll. We'll see who wins. Yeah. But, but what I think is actually the right answer, so it doesn't really matter who wins. <laughs> yeah. I have, a, have I have really
2: strong feelings about this, so.
0: I have very strong feelings about it, too. And we are split in our house on this, too. Although I think I'm on the Yeah, we started.
2: are also split in my house. Yeah, my kids. My husband and I completely disagree on this. Yeah, my husband
0: and I completely disagree on this too. Oh, um, can't wait to find out what you think. Okay. so as we know marriages can survive this disagreement. Marriages can survive even when your husband is wrong on this. <laughs> so, and just remember, there's two sides to a pizza. So you get what you My husband does not like black olives. I love black olives. So we just get black olives on one side. There you mm-hmm. go. If we get pepperoni pizza, and I want pepperoni and black olives, just one side. And thankfully a couple of my kids like it too. <laughs> so, well, we appreciate you ladies joining us. If you have any more questions about eternal subordination of the sun, we're putting so many resources on this week's. Go to the website, BibleThumpingWingNet.com, and click on Theology TheologyGas, you'll see this episode. And if you still have questions, please write to us. All of our contact information is there, and maybe we will try to answer questions questions or I can always write to Rachel and say I have no idea what the answer is on our next question and answer episode. We will we we'll attempt to answer it or we will talk to smarter people who know the right answer. And our voicemail is on there. Please call us and leave us a voicemail because it would be so much fun to play your questions on the air and then answer them. Just seems like we're not, you know, we're not making them up and just reading them. <laughs> a real person. Or I could just have my <laughs> friends call in and ask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And if you want to support us, we, you know, we have a few expenses and could use a little support. We do not have a lot, of, a lot of expenses, but just with equipment and some different things, we do have some expenses. If you would like to support us, our Patreon, you can either go to Patreon and, and look up the details, or you can get a link on the website. And I haven't even told Ashley this, but I made a decision that I'm going to start t- doing. I don't know if Ashley will join me or not, but we're going to do some really short Patreon only podcasts They'll just be short like 10-15 minutes, but that that's the new thing is hey. to have just for your Patreon subscribers. So um I did one with with Tim for their Patreon subscribers, so I might ask him, "Hey, can I have that for ours too?" because <laughs> I was on it. So that should go to our our subscribers also. Yeah. And I think that's about it. We will see you next week. We have a great guest next week I'm really excited about. And we're going to talk about the Psalms and emotions and suffering. And I think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of you. So we will see you next week.